Hi there. Welcome back to the Real Film Chronicles podcast. As always, I'm Nathan. My name is Brian. And today, on episode number 11, we're going to be talking about a little film called Species. Fantastic. Species, 1995 sci-fi horror film from director Roger Donaldson. Do you recognize this guy? Do you know what some of the other content he's done is? Not in the least. All right, so some of his movies should uh, ring a bell. Cocktail. Oh, okay. Dante, yep. Dante's Peak. Ah! <laughs> right? And The Bank Job was another popular one with uh, with Statham. Oh, I love The Bank Job. It's one of those movies that nobody seemed to know about, but I, I'll tell people about this all the time. Not literally, of course. I don't know if I've even mentioned it to you in conversation recently, but it's a great little flick. Check out The Bank Job. No, I think you've been hiding that piece of information from me. But it looks like I've seen that movie. I just don't remember it at all. And Species was written by Dennis Feldman, who did a movie called The Golden Child, I believe, with Eddie Murphy. Have you seen that one? No. Is, is he any relation to Corey Feldman? I'm going to go out on a limb and say <laughs> no on that one. I really, I, when I was looking at his filmography, I really didn't see many other notable films that he's written. So uh, that, that's kind of that right there. Um, let's, let's get going with the overview as per Letterboxd. Let's see, this is probably a good time to tell you that we're going to be talking about spoilers for, for this film, but also all the sequels for this film, presumably, uh, throughout this. Uh, so you've been warned. The Letterboxd overview. In 1993, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Project receives a transmission detailing an alien DNA structure, along with instructions on how to splice it with human DNA. The result is Sill, a sensual but deadly creature who can change from a beautiful woman to an armor-plated killing machine in the blink of an eye. I can see the grin on your face right now. This sounds very in- like a very intriguing concept, right? So I gotta ask you, I know you've watched all four Species movies, and I think that's important to denote here. Species came out in 95. Um, it spawned three sequels. The second one was a theatrical release, uh-huh. uh, which came out, I think, in two va- sorry 1998. And number three and four were probably in the mid-2000s. Uh, they were both direct-to-video. So what prompted you to watch the series right now? Well... That's an interesting question, Brian. Thanks for asking. Um, so, listen, Species has been, you know, one of my... I don't have guilty pleasures. I don't like that term. If, if something makes you yeah, happy, then don't feel guilty about it. You know, with notable exceptions of certain crimes, which I'm not going to get into here. <laughs> um, okay. But, like, Species came out in 1995... You know, I was a teenager. I won't say exactly what age um, because it's super depressing now. <laughs> but, you know, as as a kid who was big into sci-fi and, mm-hmm. you know, I was big into sci-fi and this was a big budget release. Um, and it was, it was, I think it was played up pretty much. Like it was, it was a big advertising campaign at the time. I think it was pretty well known. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. And also the other side of it, I think I have to be kind of upfront and honest was, um, you know, this movie is also known species is known for its nudity, right? Yep. It introduced, mm-hmm. this was the first movie starring, um, a young Natasha Henstridge. 
um, who, by the way, a fun fact, she also lived for a time in Fort McMurray, Alberta, which was where mm. I was born. That's, so a, that's a solid connection. There's a, there's right a there. little connection there. Yeah. Um, but honestly, as a young boy coming into his own, a teenager rather, hormones raging, um, mm-hmm. the promise of, of nudity and that, that titillating aspect of it, that definitely played mm-hmm. a part in, in burning this into my brain. Oh, for sure. Although looking back, it doesn't have as much nudity as I seem to have recalled at the time. Yeah. The nudity was definitely a big, I mean, selling factor on it. But I, I think I also agree, you know, being a teenager of that time, I was big into sci-fi just like you. I wanted to consume all of it. And so you had kind of this uh, perfect melding of this beautiful woman, nudity, and a pretty compelling sci-fi premise where, I mean, that overview said said it right there. They splice alien DNA into human DNA, creating this alien-human hybrid that uh, essentially just goes out on a mission to procreate, to reproduce more aliens. And, I mean, it promised a lot of action as well. It promised a lot of gore. And, I mean... That is going to appeal to us during that time, and quite frankly, it still appeals to me right now. It does, and and listen, like species is not Shakespeare, right? But it's this perfect blend of those really cool, high concept sci fi mm-hmm. idea of you know this you know extraterrestrials giving us this information to splice our DNA, right? So this really cool idea of like, well, how do you traverse you know the billions of of miles between us and the next you know solar system that could potentially um contain life and so it's like here's like a, a really neat take on how we might actually make first contact with another yeah. alien species by this transfer of information plus they take that really high high level you know high concept sci-fi idea and you mix it with these really kind of pulpy campy elements mm-hmm. of you know um this this highly sexualized um you know, alien predator going out and trying to mate with humans to create a race that's essentially going to um, kind of outbreed us and, mm-hmm. and and destroy humanity. And then you have, uh, you know, like this team of experts on her trail trying to track her down. <laughs> um, you know, this like this chase film with with the campy, pulpy kind of almost like sexploitation elements kind of yeah. creeping in there with, with the high concept sci-fi and just like this created this really unique blend um, that you, that, that was just, I don't know, there was something kind of magical for those of us who were part of that cult following. And I think it has gained a cult following over the years since it's release. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's something that kind of speaks to us and maybe it has to do with the nostalgia and the time and the place, but for whatever reason, um, species has been forever burned into my brain. Without a doubt, that's uh, that's like a really good uh, note there about this being a movie about first contact with aliens, right? Because, I mean, it makes sense that instead of sending actual aliens, it would take a very long time. You can send radio signals and whatnot at the speed of light, send out information about your DNA. And it. I didn't really realize this, you know, the first few viewings I've had this movie over the past 20 plus years this could be a alien invasion film as well, right? Where they have basically put given humans this opportunity to put their DNA into them. And of course, we would take it as a as a method of 
boosting the human race and like uh, abilities and power and, and whatnot. But it's really kind of a Trojan horse where these alien, this alien DNA will ultimately be our doom, right? Because the aliens would uh, reproduce and take over and become the dominant species on, on our planet. The thing that's really cool, though, I didn't notice as a kid watching this, um, was that the actual intentions of the aliens who sent this was kind of ambiguous at first. Because they, yes. they actually sent two pieces of information in their broadcast. The first one was actually a formula to essentially create unlimited renewable energy. Oh, yeah. And then the second one was that that DNA or the genetic information and, and instructions on how to combine it with our own. So putting it in that context, like, I'm not sure if the aliens' intentions were in fact to create, you know, a race that would eventually kind of outbreed us and colonize us um, by, by kind of genetic um, evolutionary proxy, or whether maybe there was something that went awry in that combination of alien and human DNA or whether like that first information about, you know, infinite energy was just trying to trying to um, trick us and make mm-hmm. us more trusting. It's all kind of, it's very ambiguous because like the whole thing is too, that Syl, this alien human hybrid, once she's created, she's created by scientists and she's mm-hmm. kept in this sterile laboratory like environment. She's not given any um, human social interaction. So she's not given the chance to really develop those social skills. And one of the characters mm-hmm. even says at one point, she, you know, she points this out is like, well, you know, her cognitive development is probably influenced by her surroundings and her lack of interaction with other people, like human beings or social yeah. animals. And so to like, to, to live and grow up as a child, especially in that absence of, you know, that parental figure and that, um, you know, validation and dare I say that love and, and compassion, mm-hmm. It's like, that's going to have a psychological effect. So was it the alien DNA that was totally to blame here? Or would Syl have turned out to be, you know, this ambassador from another world had she been yeah. just like treated like an actual kid and, and shown love and affection? I don't know. Yeah. Leave it to humans. Just, just like screw it all up. Right. It's just like exactly as you said, they, they basically raise her in isolation and, you know, kind of essentially create the monster. Right. Yes, and the monster played by two actors. The first one, I, I think we have to talk yeah. about the actors here because, like, it's so bizarre too. Because it's, it's this kind of like weird, <laughs> you know, really pulpy, campy sci-fi content. But you've got this such a wide range of talented actors in this. Like, first of all, you got you have a pretty stellar cast here. Yeah, go go through the list. Yeah, here, please. So this is off the top of my head. So correct me if I'm wrong. But the so young Syl, when she's a the alien human hybrid, is played by Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. You may, a lot of people know her from Dawson's Creek. She's gone on to do a lot of great work. Check out Blue Valentine if you haven't already. Um, there's all kinds of work she's done. But Michelle Williams, she turns into Natasha Henstridge, who's also known for um, Ghosts of Mars, if you haven't checked that out. Yeah. John Carpenter. A nice John Carpenter also film. <laughs> the whole nine yards. Just off the top of my head. Species 2, if you're so inclined. Then you've got, I believe, Oscar winner Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> yep, he's amazing. Oscar winner Ben Kingsley. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and you got Michael Madsen in there. Yep, um, Marg Helgenberger, who yes. you might recognize from CSI. I think that was like her biggest claim to fame in my yeah. recollection. Anyway, am I missing anybody in there? I think those are like the, the big, big only names. other one you missed. I would say is Alfred Molina. Oh, 
Alfred, throw me the idol. I throw you the whip, Melina. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can't believe. Yes, of course. <laughs> he was the other um, specialist who was called in. But like, you got this amazing cast of yeah. of like really top tier actors, and it's just like, and they're really elevating this content, oh, making yeah. it better than it had any right to be. And they're all playing yeah. it. They're all playing it completely straight. It's all completely serious. There's no winking at the camera at all. Yep. And I mean, as promising, as intriguing as the concept of the movie is, the execution is not stellar. As you said, like it is pretty campy. It's not it's not executed perfectly. It's uh it definitely had makings of a, a much bigger picture. I think it was fairly um like if if the plot feels like looking back, not a lot actually happens. It feels like they had like this bigger idea, like mm-hmm. something more epic, and it feels like almost like budget constraints forced them to like cut a bu- a couple of action set pieces, and so it was forced to be this kind of more straightforward. Like I think Sill only ends up like trying to mate with like two different people. It's not like a it's not yeah. it's not a big kind of spree that I I had originally recalled where she goes and she's trying to you know mate with different men but then she's like oh there's genetic genetic defect in this one guy and it would would result Mm -hmm. in imperfect um offspring which is like this is a a strange commentary in and of itself talking about you know genetic genetic perfection and what counts as uh you know imperfection that's kind of tricky area yeah i guess before we kind of jump into the overall plot of the film and go further i just wanted to ask another question is do you remember the first time you saw this film, the circumstances around it or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, I do. Like, honestly, like I, I remember Natasha Henstridge and I remember crushing on her hard for a long time. Yeah. She was a movie crush for, for a long time. Yeah. Even up till today, honestly, like it just, like, she came, it came out at that seminal moment. I was a teenager yeah. and like that was burned <laughs> in my brain. I remember it was at, at home. And I was alone, not with my parents. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, basically, this one holds a. I have a nice. I don't know if it's a nice story. This one is nostalgic on a couple different levels. But being such a lover of sci-fi and everything, and being at this age, this movie seemed to come out at the perfect time. However, I was slightly too young to see it in theaters. I mean, this is 1995, and I think maybe about a year or so later, it started coming out on VHS. And during this time, my parents would rent me some of the worst movies, some of the worst B <laughs> sci-fi films I've ever seen, right? And when I saw Species on the shelf, I knew a little bit about it because we also had a subscription to an entertainment uh, magazine, and they would talk about movie reviews and everything. So it was, I kind of knew the gist of, of this film, and I knew I wanted to see it. I think for multiple reasons, obviously, being you know 16 years old or whatever. But at the video store, my parents refused to rent me this film. This film was off limits, which made me want to see it that much more. But how am I supposed to be able to see it? I can't get into Blockbuster. I don't know where to go. But I had one friend who managed to have a huge library of bootleg films. I don't know if his dad just rented everything and uh, made copies of it. But when I told him my plight of not being able to see Species, he hooked me up. I went over to his house in secret and we watched this movie. I think there were probably two or three of us. And I mean, obviously I love the film. I'm still watching it to this day. 
But I was always paranoid after that because I would stop bugging my parents to rent this movie for me after that day thinking, man, are they going to notice that I don't ask them to rent this movie anymore? I'm going to get in so much trouble for watching this movie when I'm not supposed to. Um, that being said, I don't remember anything about the second movie coming out. And what was it, about 98? I never saw the huh. second movie in theaters when I was clearly old enough to go on my own to see that. Uh, it was just kind of like this movie... I've kind of put on that nostalgia pedestal, I think, because of that story. And I hope if my parents are listening right now, they aren't too offended that I kept that as a secret from them <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it wasn't, it was a lot tamer than I recalled as, as a kid yeah. in terms of like the, the nudity, but also like the violence. It wasn't nearly as crazy as I had, uh, as I had seemed to have built up in my brain but it's still it's just this is mm -hmm. like and maybe it is the nostalgia factor but like i i keep coming back to this movie over and over again and maybe it's also just like the the purity of the narrative where it's like yeah uh, as i said it's like it felt like it was almost like pared down but it's like it's so it's so simple straightforward it's like alien hybrid bent on destruction of the human race escapes yeah. tries to mate with a bunch of men and then you assemble a task force to try and track her down that's it's it it's very simple that's the movie and it's very effective that way yeah and it's just like i think there's a lot to be said about that simplicity it's like everyone kind of kind of understand the motivations here um and it doesn't need to be that deep right um, i also love do we want to go sorry go ahead. there's so many elements in this that are just like wacky off the wall that just don't seem to fit in but it does work like force whitaker his character is just like oh yeah he's psychic <laughs> he's got esp it's like he, he describes it as having like a heightened sense of empathy but he's basically yeah. he can tell what people are thinking and what they're feeling and it's like and like what nobody questions this like yeah, i think they i think yeah, michael madsen true. makes a comment because michael madsen of course is playing like a, a badass but like he's he's playing like this rough and tumble like he's like the, yeah. he's the he's the guns he's the big guns right the other ones are scientists Michael Madsen's the he's the what is, how does he describe it he's somebody who the government calls in to clean up their problems yeah it's he becomes like the most mysterious character but he his, he plays in such a way that he kind of seems a little disinterested in the role when I'm watching him it's like he's playing it too <laughs> mysterious or something because no to, to give you an idea so. Sill, the alien, escapes, you know, in her child form, and they pull in this team, and they're doing all these introductions, and as you said, Forrest Whitaker comes in, he's like, well, you know, I'm psychic, and he kind of explains it, everyone's just like, shrugs their shoulders, like, that's cool, what do you do? And I think Mark Helgenberger is like some kind of psychologist or something, they don't seem interested in that, and then Michael Madsen is saying, well, you know, I take care of problems. And he's just got that cool look in his eyes. He's just like, you guys aren't getting any more information with this. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking maybe as an actor, he doesn't give himself a backstory. He's literally given the the flattest character to work with, where some of the actors might be thinking, okay, well, I'm going to create a past for my character in my mind, some maybe some motivations and stuff. I don't think Michael Madsen was doing that here. Am I wrong? Uh, 100% you're wrong. Michael Madsen, <laughs> that's just, that's Michael Madsen. Like, you see him in his other performances, like obviously like yeah. Reservoir Dogs, but you look at his other performances, he's just got this really kind of laid back kind of, you know, yeah, calm, cool, and it. collected attitude. You look at him even like, you know, like Sin City or, or Kill Bill. And it's like, it's just, I think it has to do with it, with his voice, this tone of voice and just his mm -hmm. general demeanor. He's just like this, like, he's just like, he's got this swagger. 
right? No, that's that's an absolutely fair assessment. Um, yeah, Ben Kinsley <laughs> is kind of playing like like his character is astounded that this alien that he's created is now on a tear. It, like, like, like he's surprised the same escaped. I don't know. Well, what did you think of Ben's character in this film? Um, well, first of all, um, I'm going to take back the hundred percent thing that you were hundred percent wrong <laughs> because a lot of these characters, um, aren't necessarily consistent. <laughs> yeah. They, they seem to be fair. doing things because the plot need them to do things, which is yes. great. In this, it's not taking itself seriously, even though they're playing things straight. Like it's it's pretty clear that they know what type of movie they're in. And Ben Kingsley, for all like the you know awards acclaim that he gets for his performances, <laughs> he's in like a lot, a surprising number, like Nicolas Cage level number of like yeah. you know lesser known directed video movies. Um, and he. He he chews the scenery, man. He will he mm. will chew that scenery to a pulp and spit it back out. And I love watching him do it. It's it's amazing. Does, does he chew up the scenery in species? Oh yeah. <laughs> He's played like this evil scientist, not evil scientist, but like the scientist of questionable questionable moral character. Um, who just like remember that scene where they actually take um to learn more about the alien, they take that genetic code again. So they what they did was there's several embryos that they implanted with this alien dna and i think they had like six or seven viable ones out of dozens that they they had and they froze the rest of them so they take one of those and they're just going to grow like let's just grow a pure alien specimen just to see what it is we're dealing with what is it going to look like Mm -hmm. in its final form and then something goes wrong and they have to go and fix the equipment but they inject this cell and it immediately turns to this giant like almost blob like like blob as in the movie blob where like this, it's this black mass that starts to expand. Everybody got tentacles, yeah. And they're and like Michael Madsen and and Mark Helgenberger are stuck in this room together. And Ben Kingsley's like, no, the protocol is we have to burn the whole room to you yeah. know, prevent the escape of the aliens. But like the alien hasn't escaped from this little, um, you know, containment box yet. And it's like there's plenty of time to yeah. let these act <laughs> these characters out. And it's just completely built up for. A dramatic effect create creating this fake drama but like ben kingsley's like over the top not, yeah. not over the top but it's like just like he's invested in this it's like no we can't let them out yeah. it's gonna <laughs> it'll cause a containment breach i have to follow protocol and he's got this pain look on his face where he's like you know like he he's not relishing it but he's like i have to follow this code and i have to kill these people to prevent this outbreak and like other people around him are like what are you doing just let them out but he's yeah. like, he is owning that, right? He's he is one hundred and ten percent invested <laughs> in selling that moment. No, you're you're absolutely right. That was a banana scene that it seemed like a lot of the tension could have just been erased just by letting these people out of the room for, you know, a half a second, and just let them escape. But well, no, it's... man, protocol was in the way. <laughs> and it, quite frankly, like he does this throughout the movie, he doesn't care about any of these people. He just cares about getting this alien. And I do kind of appreciate how driven he was, like a singular purpose. Yeah, I think too, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first movie, was there a subplot about potentially using that alien DNA to create like super soldiers? Like was, I think they were, I think they were thinking about military applications. Possibly. Or that could be, I might be jumping ahead to the second one because I know for sure in the second movie, um, there were some military high ups who actually wanted to, um, you know, use that alien DNA and like modify them 
to use it for military purposes, presumably to, um, yeah. you know, create these alien human super soldiers. Um, but I think maybe that wasn't in the first one, but he, he was definitely kind of, yeah. Cause like on one hand, he seems to be, he seems to be concerned about people's safety. And then the next scene, he's just like, no, we're, look, we're the only thing that matters is capturing yeah. Syl and bringing her back alive or whatever, or killing her. I don't know. Sometimes he wants her back alive. Sometimes they want her dead. Right. It's all good. Just whatever, whatever's needed. So, so the overall plot of the film is fairly straightforward. I don't think we need to go through every, no. every detail here, but it is interesting. The amount of, of gore that happens here. Um, notably, uh, Syl will go into a nightclub and choose a mate. She sees this guy talking, flirting with another woman, and she decides, well, I have to take care of the competition, right? And I think this is where the film has that good intention, but it doesn't play off entirely. I don't know. It, I, the word I was looking for be, before was ambitious. I think there's a lot of ambitious things like that. Yes. But they, like this one plays off as just an excuse to see someone's spine ripped out of their back, right? And oh, man. <laughs> And does it ever happen? Like, it is wild. It is gory. And I appreciate seeing that stuff in my horror films. It's just, it, it almost doesn't seem like it, it's absolutely necessary here. But this almost plays out like a slasher film where the beats are basically, all right, how is this guy going to get killed? How is that guy going to get killed? How long are we going to go between seeing somebody get brutally murdered by this alien? Well, I think that the campiness... And kind of pulpiness. I think it shares a lot of DNA with like horror films and slashers in particularly. Mm -hmm. You can see that coming through. But like you said, I think we've touched on this before where the logic of that scene didn't make sense. It was a cool, gory scene where like she rips this lady's spine out of her <laughs> back while she's sitting on the <laughs> toilet of all places. It's like once again, yeah. playing on <laughs> playing on your fear of like when you're on the toilet is like one of the yeah. few times you're exposed and vulnerable. It's like, ah, yeah. now I now for the next, you know, three weeks, I got to worry about somebody <laughs> reaching through the wall and tearing my spine out. Thanks, species. But you got to be careful. Of those but bars. the whole con, the whole pretext for it was like, oh, yeah, she's in this giant club where all these single people are out, you know, trying to pick up. But it's like and she zones in on this one dude for whatever reason. I don't know what the reason is. It's not given. But then, like, this other lady comes over and flirts with him. And out of the entire club, hundreds of other potential mm -hmm. women and and, and potential sexual threats, which is why she killed this woman, because she was a potential threat to her, um, her potential mate, her mate, right? She kills mm -hmm. this one woman, but there's like, literally in the real world, that guy would probably already be on trying to pick up the next woman or, yeah. or some other woman would be hitting on him. Presumably he's a, he was a good looking guy. So like, presumably he's going to have other, you know, potential sexual threats in there, but she picks up on this, just this one goes to the bathroom kills her brutally and comes out and, is, and gets this guy to take her home. But it's like, yeah, it's like they almost had this scene written. It's like, we want, mm -hmm. we want her to tear out somebody's spine. How can we shoehorn in a pretext yeah. for her to do this? <laughs> it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. It, it's really interesting. Um, how did you feel about the actual alien design? Like when she is in her alien form? So also interesting to note, the alien designs for this were done by none other than H.R. Geiger. That's very important to note. I think we have a few things to talk about here. Who, for those of you who don't know, H.R. Geiger was the genius, dare I say genius, behind the designs of the Alien in the Aliens franchise. Originally, mm -hmm. I don't want to say franchise, in the Alien films, I should say. Yes. I hate I hate reducing things down to that 
that thing of like these days we talk about franchises or intellectual mm. property or content. No, this is arts. These are these are movies or films in and like in the first Alien, H.R. Geiger designed the Alien, and it's become yeah. iconic. In mm. even people who don't know the movies or don't watch movies, they'll recognize the design of this Alien. So H.R. Geiger, he designed the Aliens for this movie, and if you look at his work. A lot of his work tends to be very, shall we say, sensual, maybe? For sure. In a way where he's taking, he takes a lot of inspiration from the human anatomy. And specifically, I think if you look at some of his artwork, which I think you've seen, Brian, yes. like his, his art books and whatnot, where the female body in particular, he likes to, he likes to, um, you know, um, kind of riff on the female body and expand it in his own kind of, if you look at his artwork, it's very kind of, I don't know if it's if twisted is the right word, but he's got this, such a unique vision. Yeah, it, it's absolutely like you said, it's unique. It, he has his own stamp on it. Like if you saw his art out there, you would immediately recognize it as his own. Uh, and for sure, the creators of species like sought this guy out because he's going to make something really, really special uh, for their movie. And like, um, so the alien designs in species were they were pretty cool. But on the other hand, they were so evocative of the alien mm. design from the alien movies that it was a little bit too close for me at, at times. Yeah. So some behind the scenes stuff here to note is that Geiger was approached to do this and I think he was fully on board with doing it, but he also had a lot of input into the, uh, the, the creative direction of the film. And I think that's where there was some conflict and a lot of compromise because he was constant, like apparently he just designed tons and tons of things for the film, and the budget just did not allow for it. So they, the the you know the production company is wanting to kind of create that alien design. Like they want to recreate that. Geiger was very explicit. He wanted to move past that, and he wanted to create something more unique uh, for this film. But I just don't think the the production for species was able to accommodate that. And to give you an idea, this budget was $35 million. Um, a lot of things apparently got cut out. So he had a whole series of seals transformation in the film. We see her as a young girl. She ends up cocooning, which oh, I yeah. mean, the practical effects of that cocoon scene. Fantastic. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. The adult seal Natasha Henstridge is born out of that cocoon and the rest of the film is basically just immediate transformations into the alien design or a lot of flashbacks, like, sorry, not flashbacks, but a lot of dream sequences with her inner alien form. And we don't get to see her transformation in full until the end of the film, where apparently that was the last step amongst a whole series of steps. And I wanted to give you a quote here on what Geiger was, was going for, um, where they would really struggle within their budget to do do this. But I think if you look up the art for this stuff, it looks amazing. And he described the final design of Sill as transparent outside and black inside, like a glass body, but with carbon inside. And if you can start kind of like visualize what he's trying to, to put out there. I mean, we had a, a chance for a very iconic alien here, but you know, it's just, it's that, it's, it's that limitation of the of the production. Yeah, and I think if you look at the background of the production, like the script was rewritten completely yeah. front to back several times as it went through production. Yeah. So like, this was not like a clear vision at, at the beginning that somebody was like 
following 100%. This was, it was a lot of bumps along the road for, for mm-hmm. species to, to come into existence, but it is and, it's kind of disappointing that they didn't have either the budget or maybe, you know, the budget or the willpower. Yeah. You know, not willpower, the budget or the will to kind mm-hmm. of see his vision through to the end. They didn't, they yeah. didn't trust in his vision. It's like they, they got this guy, they got H.R. Geiger, who's this iconic, you know, he's such an iconic figure in cinematic history. Um, he's such a unique, he's got such a unique artistic vision. And mm-hmm. they, it felt like they didn't trust it in the end, right? Uh, another thing at the end of the film, um, it basically devolves into kind of the sewer chase scene where Syl is in her alien form. Uh, she's given birth to a baby alien who's growing very rapidly. I think we see him as like a seven-year-old boy yeah. with a uh, with like a giant lizard tongue or something. Like the film, to be fair, kind of falls apart during this final sequence here. Um, but the original production wanted them to come in with flamethrowers, basically attack the alien, and Geiger essentially had the end of the movie change because he felt he really needed to step away from the alien design but also he said the flamethrower thing was kind of overdone in sci-fi films. It was how they resolved everything in aliens and yeah. Terminator two with all the, uh, all the fire in the end sequences, like let's do something to set ourselves apart. And the production just wasn't equipped to do that. So we end up with a like fast moving CGI alien, which, uh, yeah. So you gotta talk about the CGI here. Cause like, like you were saying the practical effects, practical effects in this film were Amazing. great. Right when the like the big ones were like the the cocoon sequence, um, like the actual like horror sequence, like like in addition to the spine snapping and tearing out sequence, mm-hmm. there's like at one point she throws a hobo against the wall and his body just like crumples with the force and it's all like distorted and stuff. Yeah. And it's like it's not super gory, but it's just, like it's unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she's the one the train the train attendant. She like gores her face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's you know, all that stuff. And then like the actual, when they show those dream sequences you're talking about, it's an, it's somebody obviously in a costume, right? Yeah. And it looks really good. I mean, the design is still derivative of alien, but it's still, it looks like it looks realistic, right? It looks like yeah. something physical, but then anytime you get to the CGI, which I don't know if it was just at the time that 1995 CGI just couldn't handle that vision, it was just too early. Or whether they had to rush the production. But like that final fight scene with that CGI blob jumping around that was supposed to <laughs> resemble the person in the suit from the earlier um, scenes did not match up at all. And it's like they would have like if they could have rewritten that and they could have to have it so that, you know, it was a person in a suit doing wire work or something that would have looked 100 percent better than what we got. Yeah, it was it was kind of an unfortunate ending, but to sort of continue on into the sequels here, I wanted to say the end of the film basically sees I think both her her offspring and Syl destroyed right in the sewers, but yes. at the end of the film, there's a rat that I think I can't remember if his eyes glow green or something. No, He's so what happens a, is um, there's a tentacle that Michael Madsen cuts off. So to give you an idea of like. H.R. Geiger's twisted vision. Um, Syl has tentacles coming out from her nipples that will shoot out and like strangle people. So a a portion of this nipple tentacle 
gets <laughs> gets eaten. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's right. The rat eats it. Yes, rat eats oh it. Oh my god! And the implication is because like that the rat, you know, like somehow eating DNA changes your DNA, <laughs> which is not how anything works. But like the rat's eyes are glowing or something, but then a tentacle shoots up from the rat and eats another rat nearby. Yeah. And just for the record, every one of these movies in the species um, uh, franchise. Or, the, or every one of the species movies, they end with a cliffhanger like this that has absolutely yeah. zero yeah. bearing on the next movie. <laughs> it's ignored That's what I completely. wanted to follow up on was the second movie. And I watched uh, the first one and the second one just before doing this podcast. And immediately there is no mention of this rat in the second film. Oh, yeah. And so they do that all the time. So, yeah. Every single one of these movies, and I'm like, I, so I came back, I watched Species, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, so I watched it, and I was like, oh, I've never seen all of the sequels. I've seen part of Species 2 when I was babysitting my cousin one time, and it was late at night, it happened to be on TV, and I was like, oh, I love Species, and I'll check this out. I, I caught like 20 minutes or something of it, so I've never seen really any of the sequels. It's like, I'll sit down as a project this week, and just, I'll watch them all, sure, why not, just, just for fun. So Species 2... Um, it looks like, I don't know if it did or not, but it looks like it had a lot bigger budget than the original species. I'm just shaking my head over here. Apparently it had the exact same budget of $35 million. Really? And I just want to reverse here. The first species had a budget of 35 million, made 113 million worldwide. It was also one of, I think it was MGM, one of their biggest opening weekends for any film they've ever had. Really? And species two had a $35 million budget. And an overall gross of $26.8 million worldwide. So it was a wow. a fairly sizable disaster, which I guess is why they three and four ended up going direct to video. Because like Species 2 still felt like it felt like it had a bigger budget, honestly. Like the special effects were I mean, there's still some some, you know, like like uh, sketchy stuff going yeah. on there's a couple scenes we can talk about this like where they're once again their reach kind of exceeded their grasp but overall it felt like you know it was a like any kind of sequel where it's kind of bigger and there's more going mm-hmm. on um i seem to recall it i don't know if we want to get into it right now well i i would like to talk about species two here yeah sure i have some some qualms about the special effects being better at least in the introduction of this film um do we want to give an overview of Species 2? I haven't written down here. Go for it. And it is full of spoilers here, but it, it basically tells you exactly what happens in the, in the film. <laughs> All right, here we go. Having just returned from a mission to Mars, wink, Commander <laughs> Ross isn't exactly himself. <laughs> He's slowly becoming a terrifying alien entity with one goal, to procreate with human women. When countless women suffer gruesome deaths after bearing half-alien offspring... Scientist Laura Baker and hired assassin Press Lennox use Eve, a more tempered alien clone, to find Ross and his brood. Before long, Eve escapes to mate with Ross. Yeah, so I had, for some reason, from the little bit of the movie that I had seen initially, I really thought that they had Terminator 2 this movie, where they had taken the (laughs) bad guy from the original and turned them into the good guy for the sequel. And I, yeah, I, I, I seem to recall, I got it mixed up, obviously, but there was like, you know, this alien, another alien human hybrid is out. This time it's a man trying to mate with women. Yeah. And then they, they would put together another team. And I, 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 I had recalled that Eve was actually on the team out in the field with them. 
um, mm. trying to hunt this hunt this other human alien hybrid down. That was not the case at all. So Natasha Henstridge comes back um, to play another alien human hybrid, Eve, who is identical in every way to to Syl apparently. But they did some genetic engineering to make her more docile, to keep her sex drive in check. And they also raised her in an environment where she did not come in contact with any men. Which was an important plot point. It was, uh, yes. In this movie. And they also <laughs> raised her because Mark Helgenberger's character is back. And she raised her at, with actual human interaction, human contact. So yes. she's socialized and she's actually, she's, you know, working with them. Uh, she's she's cooperating. She's not trying to escape. She's not trying to kill anybody. But yeah, so men and apparently if she even detects testosterone, then like the alien mating yeah. drive will go into overdrive here. So they're adding all this, all these content into the, uh, all this new lore elements in here. And also like the, the astronaut who comes back and who's this, he's an alien human hybrid. So all the stuff that was from the first movie completely disregarded, right? So about yeah. the aliens from so far out in space that the only way they can communicate is like information and giving us, you know, this genetic information and energy information is like, no, no, there's also had some of these same yeah. aliens on Mars at one point. Like, sure, okay, whatever. And this alien, and like they're taking soil samples, and this guy's like the first person on Mars. Um, yeah, okay. So I will grant though the special effects here kind of, kind of wonky. Essentially, most of the budget I think went into the practical effects of the aliens later on. That entire Mars sequence. I mean, I'm not sure. Probably doesn't look super awful, but it definitely did not look good to me at all. It didn't look great, and I'm not sure why they didn't do that with miniatures instead of CG. That whole like l- Mars landing sequence, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was strange. That didn't look great, so it was okay. But the the issue there was Commander Ross is the first person on Mars, and he he basically collects like three or four vials of sand or soil from Mars. soil samples. Yep, and out of this random assortment of soil samples they get it onto the ship and they're flying back and immediately like alien goo comes out of these samples and you know takes over the three astronauts actually with two out of the three yes it i mean it it may be worth pointing out it's like all three of them had like 17 minutes of lost time and memory so the alien goo was interacting with them it took over commander ross and the female astronaut i can't remember her name the other individual was kind of left alone because he had some kind of condition that was un, unappealing for yeah. also, genetic uh, reproduction. Very, very uncomfortable that it was the, the black man who was deemed genetically not uh, not fit yeah. enough. It's like, it's like there's some really kind of stuff that would like <laughs> kind of questionable today. <laughs> and I, yeah, for sure. And I think it's also worth pointing out that Commander Ross doesn't know he's an alien hybrid anymore. Right? Like he comes back and it's kind of like he basically murders a few women uh, because he impregnates them with alien seed. They give birth to an alien. He brings them back. Then he wakes up in the bed the next day with a brutally murdered woman. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. It's almost like, again, spoilers. It's almost like a fight club scenario where like yeah. he's got two different personalities. And then when one is active, the other one's kind of asleep and vice versa. So like the alien side will come out and like, this guy comes back and he, I think he, there's a couple of prostitutes after he's, he's getting this big award for yeah. being the first, first person to walk on Mars. And he goes up there and he's having sex with them. And then he, 
<laughs> he impregnates them immediately and they immediately start growing yeah. children inside them and then these children these little alien human hybrid babies burst out of them killing them in probably like the single yeah. least efficient reproductive cycle ever <laughs> yeah without a doubt <laughs> that, another element is that all the astronauts are super horny right like they have to get back to earth and they gotta have sex immediately well like and there's a 10 day period from when they land and they, they are forbidden from having sex. It's the only thing in their debriefing that they're not allowed to do. But, of course, they all got to go and do it right away. Oh, yeah. It's worth noting that the, the species movies are all very, very horny. Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> they, this one was like, yeah. They are obsessed with sex because, like, they talk, the doctor talks about quarantine. I was like, okay. It's like, it, all quarantine means is no sex. I was like, living in the post-COVID-19 world, it's like, that that doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. <laughs> Even a pre-COVID nineteen world is like quarantine isn't just about sexual intercourse, you know. Like again, like we're not talking about like NASA was not called to consult on these movies. Obviously, no. <laughs> I don't. I'm not even sure they're called NASA in the film, are they? I feel like it's some other space oh. agency. <laughs> it's entirely. But there possible. was also something else that I, I maybe I'm reading too much into the scenario, but it was kind of unsettling to watch this film right now, where they have turned the the evil evil alien who's going around murdering people into this man. And in the first film, it is a kind of I don't even I don't even know if this is appropriate to say like an empowered female alien who basically killed these men and the men are not, they don't have really any redeeming qualities about them. Like the, she discovers in the first film, the one guy is diabetic and the alien doesn't want to mate with him. So she's like, you know what? No, thanks. I'm not going to do this. Well, he gets aggressive. He's like, no, no, we're going to have sex anyways. She kills him. That's satisfying to see. This guy was a jerk in this one. It's very unsettling. It's just this, this guy going around and we don't get that sense that his victims are not innocent in some way. Like they are just just women out doing their thing. There's that really, I mean, it's just, it plays out a little bit differently, I think. Sort of. I mean, in the first species, there was that one dude who was definitely, he was going to sexually assault her when she said no. Yeah. So there's definitely some, like, l- looking at it from, you know, even back then, that's kind of iffy, but like, you know, now that we're aware of these issues, you know, having seen Me Too, the Me Too movement, and and all these things come to light, and how we're more sensitive about that now, maybe not sensitive, but more aware of these issues. Mm-hmm. But also the the second guy she goes with, um, in the first movie, he's not trying to super force himself on. He's being he's kind of creepy, but then all of a sudden she's like, you know, like let's I want to have some kids, and the guy's like, well, actually, you know what? Maybe we'll just take it slower. And like yeah. that woman that she murders, straight up murders, is like, what was she? Her goal was that she was trying to hook up with somebody that night. So it's like some of it was. Sometimes they tried to seem like it was like justified, but again, that's also troubling in a way. It's like, like why are we trying to justify anybody getting murdered? Right. Yeah. It's a, it becomes a no, weird for sure. when you try to apply morality to uh, to uh, <laughs> any kind of horror film, it gets kind of muddled. But yeah, you're right. In this one. In Species 2, he's just, there's no kind of, they don't try to build sympathy with the victims a whole lot. It's, they, they strip all that out and just like, no, this guy's going around. He's impregnating women and by impregnating them, murdering them. 
And then he's yeah. taking his weird, creepy children of the corn and hiding them in a barn somewhere <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about the whole barn situation where, I mean, spoiler alert again, obviously this is at the end of the film. They come across this barn with like eight or nine or a dozen of these cocoons where these <laughs> children are cocooning into adult aliens, I guess. And um, it's at that opportunity that this guy, Commander Ross, turns into his alien form. By that time, Eve is over there. And that was the other weird thing in this film is that whenever Commander Ross is is impregnating women, doing his thing, Eve has like this telepathic link with him. Yeah. And like gets flashes of it happening. And she's basically drawn to him. It's like, okay, we basically have to mate at this point. So it's a weird thing where it's like, um, and the scientists do this somehow. Don't ask us. Don't ask any of the filmmakers out. But it's like, oh yeah, these aliens have some latent uh, telepathic powers. It's like well, that would be nice to know about because then they go and take Eve, and it's like, oh, we're gonna inject you with this, and something's gonna modify your DNA, or I don't know, some yeah. scientific techno babble. It's like, and it's gonna allow you to, you know, increase your telepathic link with this, you know, with Commander Ross, so we can yeah. see through his eyes and track him down. And she willingly goes through this. Um, but yeah, it was just like, they just added a bunch of stuff to the plot to, as it was needed. It's like, oh, we need to track this guy down. It's like, uh, we'll make them have a psychic connection. Why not? And it wasn't the only things they added to this film. There were two notable appearances by actors of, of considerable talent thrown in here, including James Cromwell. Yes. As Commander Ross's father. And Peter Boyle was showing up in this film as well. I was again surprised by oh, the yeah. level of talent that was that was here. Like this, at one point, was a legitimate sequel. People wanted a sequel to this film. It did well financially, so why not get a second film in there? And because I would be surprised, Michael Madsen comes back, Mark Helgenberger's back. Like, you know, this could be a good thing. And again, I think it's fairly ambitious what they're trying to pull off here. They just can't quite execute properly. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting, like, Natasha Hanstrich is back, but her role seems greatly diminished. Yeah, like 90% of her time is spent in that, like, isolation room, right? Like, she probably filmed her scenes in, in two or three days. It, was kind of, it, was, it felt kind of disconnected, almost like she was coming back on set for a couple days and then just kind of heading out. It was almost like, I get the feeling that she had a brief appearance in the third one as well. Yes. It almost felt like she was almost, because Species was her first movie, I get the sense that she was kind of doing it almost not as a favor to them, but as just like a sign of like, you know, like this is my fa- my first movie that kind of, you know, kind of catapulted her into the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so coming back and doing that was just like, a, it was almost like a sign of, of respect to that, yeah. uh, to that movie that kind of, you know, dare I say, launched her career. I mean, she was a model before. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not big in the modeling world, so I don't know how famous models are. I couldn't name you one model, let alone f- my top five. <laughs> <laughs> do you think her uh, her role? Like, do you think she did a, a good job in the first species? Yeah, I, I I do. I was surprised because knowing her background, and she came purely from modeling, so they were casting mm-hmm. mostly on on looks, which is again another comment on on the film industry. Yeah. Obviously, but I think they really, I, don't, I think they played to her strengths. She doesn't speak a whole lot. I feel like it's, it's a backhanded compliment, but I think at the time she was, it was her first role. It was a big yeah. budget movie. So she doesn't 
speak a whole lot. And she's a lot of her performance comes from her body language where she's walking along. Mm -hmm. You see her like in the bar, for example, in that club and she's moving almost like very like predator, like, right. Mm -hmm. Not predators in the movie, but like predator in general, like she's the way she was moving with that, just her body language. Like she seemed like she seemed dangerous. Right. Well, for sure. And I think she did a, a pretty fantastic job of that first movie. And I had parallels of the first Terminator film where Arnold had some previous acting experience in the first Terminator. Hercules in New York. But, right? And they gave him very few lines. And again, here, Natasha is given very few lines in a very similar role where she's out in this world trying to navigate kind of a foreign world. Because there's a bit of that humor throughout where she doesn't know how society functions, right? So she encounters like the just different environments where she needs money. She's got to go buy, buy clothing and she kind of dresses ridiculously, which is all fine, but it, it definitely had that Terminator vibe to it. And I think she did a pretty bang up job in that. Yeah. Cause film. she has to go from like that kind of, you know, that predatory sense where she's this alien and she's out kind of hunting for a mate, but she's also like, there's that innocence and naivete where she doesn't know how money works. And she's yeah. just learning this and stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of layers to that performance, right? And she has to turn on the charm to lure these guys into yeah. a false sense of security before she does her deed. Uh, so it, it was definitely a, a fine performance. And it is kind of sad to see her in the second one where she really doesn't have very much to do at all. And the third one, I think she shows up in the introductory scene and is just kind of out of the film series she's at that point. immediately. Yeah. After, was that Eve? Yeah. Like the after, third movie. After two films yeah. of showing like, oh yeah, these aliens are really tough to kill. It's like, no, we just choked her out. Yeah. It's but like that second film ends, right? She's like, she, it's really weird because, you know, first of all, that, that barn scene, all the kids are in their cocoons. They're about to like metamorphosize, but they have this like, um, some kind of spray. I don't know. Some kind of chemical. Yeah. They did not kill. explain that one too well. It doesn't matter. All you know, it's like some kind of chemical that's going to kill the aliens. So all our heroes go in and fill this barn full of children. <laughs> our heroes. When you say it out loud like that. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't sound no, great. I can't we'd watch these movies. <laughs> and then they go for the final face off. Cause like Eve goes to commander Ross and they both get naked and they both start making out. It's like, we're going to make some like really hardcore, pure alien babies. Yeah. Again, the whole blood purity thing It's like watching species and watching, um, but also the underworld series and they're all really obsessed with like pure bloodlines. It's just, <laughs> it's kind of weird, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Like commander Ross chose his true form. It's his giant. They took a page out of the alien playbook where in aliens, they had like oh, yeah. the alien queen, which is bigger and had, you know, it was bigger and scarier. And this one was like, yeah, he was bigger and scarier. And he looked almost like kind of like bug, like or spider, like with his big I'm legs. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Geiger was probably not involved in the second movie, but I could no. be mistaken on that. But what they did wisely for the climax in the second film, um, double entendre, um, definitely intended. But the climax in the second film was they didn't have the CGI for the alien. It was all practical effects or mostly practical effects. And it was all like, it looked like a giant, like mostly giant puppet, which looked a lot better, looked a lot better than that CGI um, cell at the end of First Species. You're absolutely right. It's like, yeah, that was just too ambitious of them to do in that first film. The second one did did tidily clean up 
with the uh, special effects uh, being practical. Right. So the the end and the battle at the end, like Eve, even though she was just trying to mate with Commander Ross, she eventually helps the humans yeah. fight him for some reason, and then he kills her by sticking a giant tentacle down her throat. Again, some yeah. quite disturbing sexual imagery. Very there. much so. Yeah. Uh, when you actually start to think about that, um, but the movie ends. They managed to defeat Commander Ross with uh, the other astronauts blood because he had some kind of genetic disorder so like yes instead of just like you know taking a little prick on the finger the guy st- michael madsen stabs him with a pitchfork <laughs> to get his <laughs> yeah, blood right. and like hurls the pitchfork across the room and stabs the alien and i guess uh, it's not consistent because there's there's microbes floating around the air all around us but apparently like these aliens don't have defenses against you know um you know earth-based um <laughs> viruses or bugs or genetic imperfections or whatever the heck it is and so it immediately starts turning to goo yeah well that, that's like another good point I, I thought about is the other astronaut the uh one who was not taken over by an alien uh, basically buddies up with michael madsen's you know government assassin character and it almost plays out like a buddy cop film for a while but this astronaut is out there like he wants to hunt this guy down as well like he's got the vengeance out f- with, with him what what business does he have going out on this mission? Um, he just shows up. Yeah, because I don't know, because he doesn't seem to be like I thought. Maybe he's like, oh, well, he was in NASA, but maybe I keep saying NASA, NASA. I don't know, NASA. Yeah, <laughs> NASA. he was in NASA, but I I thought it was like, oh, a lot of if you're in NASA, sometimes you have a military background, like you know, they have fighter fighter yep. pilots and stuff. So like, oh, maybe That's he had true. a military background, but then it's like, oh no, he he's completely inept with weapons. It's like all these guns and bazookas. It's like I'll take this machete. Yeah, well, I think at one point he says, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, right. again, <laughs> and I think the reason that that guy turns against his friend, too, is because he sees him. So, like, at one point, Commander Ross, this is important, we're talking about the special effects here. Mm-hmm. So, Commander Ross goes and realizes, you know, he's starting to realize he's this alien, and he's doing this horrific things, right? He's starting to be aware of what the alien's doing. It's like, I'm you know, I'm murdering these women. He found those weird children of the corn or children of the species down <laughs> in this basement at this at his parents' cabin in the woods. And he goes and takes a shotgun, blows his head clean off. Oh yeah. And then like his his astronaut buddy sees him and while his, his astronaut buddy's watching, his entire head regenerates from the yeah. inside out so you see like the you sort of see a brain like object and then like the the bone and skull form back around and the and the tissues and everything form back around so like these aliens have like regenerative powers of varying capacity depending on how how, how much the plot needs it to regenerate but in this case the dude's brain is completely blown away yeah and like but his entire head regenerates and he's alive and he has all his memories and everything from before even though his brain was completely obliterated and it was at that point forward that he knew he was an alien and was just like completely malicious about every action he took from there on out it did change his demeanor as i guess shooting yourself in the face kind of has a tendency to do i would assume i gotta say that scene like i actually took a note on that scene it was so absolutely brutal so he basically he has sex. He wakes up in the morning. He sees the woman, like, bloody and dead in the bed next to him. Yeah. And then at the foot of the bed is standing a child who's, like, five or six years old because these aliens do grow up very quickly. 
the first Don't thing he all. does is is he goes he gets a gun like the shotgun you, you described goes outside and just blows his own head off it was just like my god man it's just like brutal and then it, it the cgi shot of him his head growing back is like a full 360 degrees like padding around him just to like almost in slow motion i will say it was, it was a really ambitious shot but again yeah. it was either the budget or the limitations of technology at the time did not allow them to pull it off it's funny because I appreciate that shot much more, like the quality and like, you know, the poor quality of it. I can appreciate that shot a lot more than some of the weird Mars stuff going on. And maybe it's just, I don't know what it is, but no, yeah, I, there we are. I, I appreciate <laughs> the ambitiousness of it. And like, it was kind of neat. Um, we see, uh, compare that with Zack Snyder's Justice League, where at the end when Flash goes back in time and like mm-hmm. Superman and the others are kind of reconstituted as time goes back. And you see, I think what the filmmakers in 1998 were really envisioning was like, here's like a person being reconstituted from the inside out. So mm-hmm. you see like the internal organs in the brain and then the bones form around it and all the, the you know, all the tissues form around it. A really cool shot, but just didn't quite have the technology to, pull it off but yeah it was like it was a really cool move to like i still can visualize exactly what you're saying a 360 move where the camera is moving around as his head is reforming it's a really neat concept just i I appreciate the ambition but it's just it's 1998 special effects and it shows yeah and contextually in the scene like i think you made this point earlier where it's like they needed to put the scene in the movie not the scene specifically but it's like this one yeah again they need to put this scene in a movie and this is it but it the lead up into it just felt so wrong to me. <laughs> yeah, it was again, it was just pretense is like we're going to we're going to shoot this scene, write something that happens before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a wild trip that is. And you did go forward and watch number 3 and 4. <laughs> oh and, right? Um I saw this, I did this whole series uh, I want to say like three or four years ago. I don't really remember number 3 and 4 very well. I know they took an even further dive in quality. Oh, they were like essentially like sci-fi movies or asylum level quality. They movies? actually did debut on the sci-fi channel. <laughs> they are sci-fi movies. So. Okay, okay. That, that <laughs> explains quite a bit then, because they feel it feels like uh, an episode of a TV show. Yeah. Um, more than anything else, and like so, the third film, Species Three, takes place immediately following the events of the second film. Um, again, at the end of the second film. She so Eve's body is being transported away by military personnel. They close mm-hmm. the doors, and one of those creepy kids is standing in the uh, in the in the back of that truck, unbeknownst to the military personnel. And then, for some reason, a random cat jumps down on Eve's dead body, and a tentacle shoots out, <laughs> and the kid eats this cat again inside the truck. Inside the truck, yeah. Yeah, okay. Nobody notices. And then the third one picks up. And then one of the drivers of this truck, who is not a military person at all, he's actually a professor at university, but he um what does he do? He yeah, he takes so it completely disregards the ending of the second movie. Eve wakes up. She's pregnant with Colonel Ross's child she gives birth yeah. to this weird thing and that weird alien kid who's a different kid now of course chokes her to death with his tentacle tongue <laughs> so this this dude who's not a military dude 
who somehow um he's a college professor who somehow got word of this top secret government operation was able to infiltrate that specific task force that went yeah. to take down these these aliens that nobody knew about he makes off with this child that eve had and this new child grows up to be the this new pure alien human hybrid who's even purer and more naked than her than her parents were um <laughs> and and then he recruits a student to um study the alien physiology and then there's these half breeds which are you know supposed to be i guess the the kind of children of commander ross who are out there that he didn't mm. collect i guess as part of his well, maybe he harem. maybe he had a different barn somewhere Maybe he had a different barn somewhere, but they're aging yeah. rapidly and they're decaying, but they also have enough money for fancy sports cars and they have an intricate <laughs> social structure and they're also infiltrating um, different levels of government, even though they're literally only two weeks old and have no resources. <laughs> it's completely, biz- it's like they completely, it's like there's, it's a sequel to a completely different movie that doesn't even exist. <laughs> yeah. That's so wild. Um, But it goes, I don't even know what the guy was trying to do. He was trying to. Yeah, so the college professor was this, he was off the walls. He's a famous Canadian actor. I can't remember the guy's name. But you see him pop up all the time in Canadian contents. Um, but he wanted to breed a pure alien specimen for reasons because he thought that they were a pure species and they were a, a more advanced species. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a bunch of really weird stuff. It sounds like it was held together pretty weakly. Um yeah, and it's it sort of follows that same pattern there. So Eve's daughter turns into like I'm just reading the overview here. It says, in time, the baby grows into a gorgeous blonde named Sarah and begins her quest to find a worthy mate. So is it kind of similar to the first uh, film where? No, she, but she doesn't really though. This is the thing. Like she, she's she's raised by this college professor who's like because he's obsessed with these aliens and how they're the superior life form. He raises her like it's his daughter, like raises her for two weeks, I guess, because that's how long it takes for them to become adults. And then I think she, she goes to like one college party. She's wandering around and she beats up a couple of the football players and then she Mm -hmm. leaves. It's, it's really bizarre at the end of the movie. Like I'll spoil it because it's nobody watched this. Um, I don't think any, I think I'm like you and I are probably one of the dozen <laughs> dozens of people who watch this, but like the half breeds attack. Oh, that professor's killed. The student eventually ends up creating another half human, half alien hybrid clone because genetics is super easy, and they can just create a, a fake womb in some guy's basement to to gestate these fetuses, and then like these two <laughs> half alien, half hybrids w- wander off together into the distance. And it's revealed that um, the student made the male sterile, so they can't reproduce. And then the and then the student's buddy, another student, asks him, "Like, mm-hmm. well, what happens when they find out that uh, you know that you you kind of um, you lied to them and they can't reproduce?" And it's like, I don't know. I guess we'll figure that out when it comes. <laughs> it's like okay, and that's again, it's important to point out that in the fourth one, this is never brought up yeah. ever again. <laughs> And what is the general gist of the fourth one? I assume it's, is it worse or better than number three? 
Oh, they're kind of equally terrible. <laughs> they're both terrible in their in their unique ways, right? Yeah, it's a completely completely unrelated different alien human hybrid raised by a completely different dude who eventually she doesn't know she's an alien human hybrid. She eventually because he's been injecting her with some kind of hormones with he calls them human hormones which is like <laughs> could you be any more specific with what specific hormones you're injecting her with it's like no just human hormones to to keep the um alien side of her at bay but then something happens she gets she goes out and she's gonna hang out she, on a date or something that's the thing she's got like she's got two doctorates or something so she's lived a full life long enough to get doctorates and be teaching at a university. Yeah. I can't remember how she came about, but it wasn't from that same program or maybe it was, who knows who cares at this point. Well, do you want to hear the overview of this one? Yeah. It's probably like a quick plot synopsis. It says a scientist, Dr. Hollander takes his niece Miranda to Mexico in an attempt to reverse the effects of the alien DNA. He used to create her. However, the treatment goes horribly wrong. And sets Miranda on a killing spree as she sets out to find a mate. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's actually his niece. I think he raised her as his niece. Because at one point mm. he tells her, like, essentially all the memories of her childhood are just stories he repeated to her over and over again. Oh, until yeah. Until she believed yeah, them. But yeah, so at one point she goes to the hospital and she doesn't get her human hormone injection in time. And her alien side lashes out and she kills a bunch of people before this dude sneaks her out in the most obvious way possible as like nurses and doctors are walking by <laughs> in the background it's amazing i just want to point out the director of species four which is called species the awakening oh yeah uh, is nick lyon and he has such credits as five-headed shark attack <laughs> rise of the zombies <laughs> bermuda tentacles and operation dunkirk oh as well as hercules reborn i mean these titles go on this is these are gold. Yeah, this is like, again, sci-fi level, um, asylum level films here. But anyway, <laughs> they go down to Mexico and they find this scientist's old partner who's played by, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was the security chief on, on Star, Star Trek Enterprise. So and it turns out that this dude, his partner, is just like, he's got like this business of just like creating alien-human hybrids. So it's like people who are looking for... Um, essentially like sex partners yeah, or who like want dead relatives or dead pets brought back to life. And he uses like this alien DNA to bring back alien human hybrids, which will like die off in a couple months, which is like even that's more so horrifying. Strange. Yeah. That's really weird. So like, but he sounds like it really went off the rails. He's there. just like, this guy's just like creating life all willy nilly down in, in Mexico. And then, yeah. so at one point, like the niece is dying of old age, even though she looks like she's 20 something, these alien hybrids have a short lifespan. So she's dying of yeah. old age. She's getting sick. And she's like, no, I want to go back to the U S I have to take responsibility for those people that I killed, even though I wasn't aware of it, you know, I have to go back and take that responsibility and her, and her adoptive father there, that scientist is like, okay, I'll, if that's what you really want, I'll take you back. But the, at the same time, he's also working with his scientist buddy to save her life, and that means a total blood transfusion from another donor. So they go out and they capture this random woman, who they justify it because he she tries to rob the uh, the uncle, the scientist guy. Yeah. Um. They take her, do a total blood transfusion, and 
when the that main character wakes what's her name again i don't even know her name uh miranda yeah miranda yeah when she wakes up her personality is completely changed she's like i'm not going back there i don't care about those people that i killed and she immediately (laughs) starts like um hitting on the uh the scientist's assistant another human alien hybrid his essentially his henchwoman and then she goes out and she starts to she starts her reign of havoc and looking for a mate and all the usual kind of species stuff um eventually it comes down to a showdown where there's the two alien human hybrids fighting in alien human form um they kind of kill each other well like the alien scientist not the alien scientist but like the the scientist guy kills one of them and then miranda dies you know trying to save him and then he mm-hmm. he blows up this entire building in mexico to cover their tracks of all this illegal stuff they were doing it sounds like a hot mess i mean it sounds a little convoluted and it's like we we harkening back to the very first species where we said it was a very a somewhat simple but like lore possible heavy uh movie but like simple motivations there not a lot happens in the movie but a lot can happen where i mean it's a chase film and whatnot it's like a lot of stuff is happening over the runtime but like it's a simple film right if they it sounds like they just try and make three it three and four and more complicated felt like it's odd to say, but they felt like way overwritten. Like they were trying mm-hmm. to cram so much in and make so much. It was like none of the stuff you crammed in made any sense at all and had no connective tissue to any yeah. of the first or second movie. It was just like none of these movies bizarre. are very long, right? It's just like, why? Thankfully. Like if you're talking about a 90 minute film, you don't have to do a lot with that. Often that simplicity is a strength for a film because it just allows you to focus on specific things. No, these reminded me a lot of the uh, the Darkman sequels. The, I think the, mm. the third and fourth Darkman sequels, where they felt as well like they were um, sci-fi, made-for-TV movies. Well, what my theory is that people enjoy world building, right? In in a movie, and so a movie like Species, I mean, it, it teases you with that stuff where it's like, well, what is this alien race? Like, what is their actual motivation? Is it are they trying to take over Earth? Or are they are they actually benevolent? Do they want to help us? Like, you know, what is actually going on? And those sequels try to expand on that world building, but they go in a very poor direction and not the direction I think people want to go into. So it's like Dark Man might be the same thing. That's another series that I, I need to check out. But it's a common thing where a lot of these movies, especially modern movies, I find like, say, Jupiter Ascending, um, is very ambitious in the world it's building and it's possible that they are based on an existing set of novels or something where they're pulling from but for me that i have no background on that or say like mortal engines like there's a lot of going on in this world but instead of teasing that stuff in future iterations like that species gives you a tease on the world but it doesn't set you up for for more at the end of it. Like that is a good self-contained film. It's, it's about maintaining focus, I think. And these yeah. sequels, um, aside from like two pretty much copied the formula from one. And so it was, it was fairly tight, mm-hmm. but like three and four were just like, I don't know. There was all these concepts they introduced that they seem to want to talk about, but then they just dropped them. 
and they mm. started talking about a completely different concept and there was all these unnecessarily convoluted plot threads that didn't make any kind of sense instead of like no here there's an alien alien on the loose they want to procreate with us to try and for whatever reason it's a natural drive that they have whether it's to yeah. supplant us as the dominant species here or not but then you have a group of people who are hunting them down why mess with that formula to one degree or another yeah. unless you like you do the terminator 2 thing where you pull in it's like oh we have an alien human hybrid on our side right so you're like you mm-hmm. change up that formula a bit but it's like no it's like simple keep it keep it simple right they, yeah, that's a great example because even Terminator 2, I mean, with time travel, you think this is going to get really complex, but they keep the motivations pretty simple. The characters are driven oh, yeah. and like it's very focused, as you say. Oh, yeah, it wasn't until Terminator 3 where they completely botched the timeline from then. That yeah, point on. yeah, yeah. Do we even need to talk about the ranking of these or are they ranked <laughs> in their titles? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, that's exactly it. Like, like uh, uh, species is the best one. Species two, I don't think species two is that far behind. As much as it veered off and didn't seem to gel with the first movie, it was still enjoyable to watch. Like it was still a sci-fi horror film that was fairly engaging. Well, that one actually felt connected to the first film, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then three and four just basically fall off the rails entirely. I'm just looking at the average ratings here. Um, Maybe instead of giving our own rankings, because it goes literally one, two, three, four for both of us, I think. Yeah. Uh, based on three, our Letterbox reviews. Three and four are kind of interchangeable. Like they're yeah. they're both pretty bad. So on Letterbox, the average rating for for, for species is two point six out of five. What? Um, I know it, it feels kind of low, but it, it might just be uh, like I've said before, it, nostalgia bumps it up. Probably that one I, I have given in the past that movie three to four stars. Every time I watch it, I'm either in the mood for it and I'll give it four stars or I'm thinking, you know what? That is kind of a campy horror film. Sorry, that is kind of a campy monster movie. Maybe it's just a three stars. I don't know. Yeah, I think I have the original species consistently at a four star rating with on Letterboxd that heart for an extra like. Yes, I put that out there as well. Species 2 has an average rating of 2.1. So it's not that far behind, but it is on the downslide there. I, I rated that movie two stars on both instances I watched. It. I gave it a 2.5. And Species 3 has a rating of 1.8. I mean, we're really reaching down here to get down to sub two average. I gave that movie one star. Yeah, I gave that one star as well. I was going back and forth. I was like, do I give it half a star? But like, I don't know. Like the actors in there were really trying Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was, it was semi-coherent. I don't yeah. know. Sometimes I I think about that one. It's like, well, there we're talking about a sci-fi horror film, um, and I will often compare it to other horror films. I'm thinking, all right, well, I get a lot more out of like any of the Friday the Thirteenth sequels than I do this one, and I will yeah. rate those those sequel movies in the Friday the Thirteenth series as like two, two and a half. So this is half the movie of of any of those, really. Yeah. Uh, Species The Awakening has an average of 1.8, so really on par with Species 3. Yeah, I gave that. What did you give it? I gave it a one star as well. I mean, they're equally as as terrible. This one, I don't remember when I watched, well, sorry, Species The Awakening, I gave half a star. Hmm. And unfortunately, I can't see, no, I gave half a star, and I watched that back in 2018, so... 
I don't give out very many half stars. I must have really disliked it at that time because I really don't remember anything about it uh, from your descriptions there. So the other element of Species, and we're talking about a classic film here that's seen many iterations on VHS, DVD, etc., is do you purchase this movie? Do you have it in your movie collection? Absolutely. I I had the DVD... I believe I upgraded to the Blu-ray and I have on my Amazon wish list right now the I think it's the is it the Shout Factory or Scream Factory edition? Yes. Um that they put out. Um it's not high priority because I already own it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But if it comes up at a decent price, I want to have the best possible version <laughs> of yeah. of this yeah. random campy slock schlocky action horror movie from the 90s. Like I would love for uh, Scream Factory to, uh, or or another distributor to put out a 4K version of the first Species film. Oh, I think that'd I, be pretty great. I want an Arrow 4K yeah. box set <laughs> like, with with the book <laughs> and the pull and well, the posters the, and everything. I want the full treatment. Well, I think there's a lot of good special features behind the scenes of this. Like even just learning the history of Geiger's in, involvement in the film mm-hmm. is is worthy of a 30 minute documentary <laughs> on its own. Um, the first time I bought Species was just a couple years ago, back in 2018. It was at Scream Factory release. Uh, oh. it, again, it's always been a movie that was on my radar, but I never set out to try and get it. Uh, I think I I desperately wanted to see it when I was a teenager. I saw it, and I don't think I watched it again for another 20 years. Yeah, like this is one of those weird ones where like it has a special place for me, and I know that it's developed a cult following. But is it a movie that I would recommend to people who didn't grow up with it? I mean, this is one of those weird ones where I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people. Um, because if you're a fan of the genre. Yeah. Then by all means. And if you know what you're getting into, if you know that it's going to be, you know, just a very simple plots and it's got like you know, sci-fi elements, but it's got the camp and it's got like the the, the pulpishness. Yes. And it's got the schlock in there and it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. It's not going to... It's not going to cause you to question your place in the cosmos or, yeah. you know, think about <laughs> the meaning of life. Um, so, like, it's, if you know what you're getting into, then absolutely go in and have a good time. But for most people, I don't think this is going to be high on their radar. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Um, I, I would definitely recommend The First Species. I mean, just look at the lineup of actors in here. Like, you, you're going to recognize all these oh, yeah. faces. Uh, the film is ambitious. There's some really cool designs in it, some really good practical special effects as a monster film, as a sci-fi horror film. I think it works on, on a few different levels. Um, you don't need to see any of the sequels, but if you do, Species 2 is still pretty decent. I mean, as flawed as it is and, and kind of a little uh, out there. And the 3 and 4, that's a that's a hard pass on yeah. watching those. Like- but... The thing is, if you're into the first couple already, it's just another three hours of movies to watch. Like, it's just, it doesn't take up that much time. Check it off the bucket list. Like, this is the thing is like, see, Tremors, I would recommend that to anybody. But Species, I think, has a, a narrower audience, mm-hmm. you know? like Without a doubt. It's just one of those, like, I, I love it and I hope other people love it. But um, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's not going to be for everyone. And and also, I mean, the nudity aspect of it. I mean, there's a decent amount of nudity in it, and it does feel exploitative at times. If you're 
if you're going back, it's like this movie is kind of born out of a different time where every yes. single like R-rated action movie, like all our action movies when you're growing up, had some form of nudity in it. And a lot of sci-fi movies, a lot of them did, even if it's just a, a, a couple seconds on screen. This one definitely amps it up, right? And it, I think it really it delves into that B-movie um, exactly. ancestry where that was a major selling point in you know, 1970s monster films and going into the 80s is that there's going to be a lot of nudity in these films. And and this kind of reminds me a lot of those old, those old films. Yeah, I know it's a conversation for another time, but it feels almost like the pendulum has swung in mainstream blockbusters almost the other way mm-hmm. where they're pretty sexless now. Um, yeah. There's a lot of action and, That's fair. and heads blowing up, but uh, there's no... How many? There's no nipples anymore. Yeah. There's no. It's it's kind of it's an interest. It would be an interesting study to look at, you know, the sexuality in in movies in these different eras, right? Where these mm-hmm. days, like, that's not an expectation in R-rated movies anymore, and for for better or worse, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's like if you want to draw a comparison, like Tremors, which really never, I don't think it ever had new to get it, but it was uh, you know a monster film has gone on to enjoy seven different entries in his franchise where something like Species, which was kind of born out of uh, that sensual uh, <laughs> on-screen depictions, you know, uh, peters out at four entries. And, and that was around 2007, probably when that pendulum began swinging in that opposite direction, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. is like Species had only a couple things going for it, and one of them was the yeah. gratuitous nudity. <laughs> and that was the one thing that they didn't even lean into that hard in, in the sequels. Yeah. So it was like, if you're going to be campy B movie, um, and with like, like own it with titillating nudity, right. If that's, if that's going to be a seller point, your selling point, then like you say, like own that as your selling points, be that soft core pornography. If that's what you're, if that's what your <laughs> business model is. But like when you come in kind of, it felt like they were being pulled in different directions like that, where they didn't know what they wanted to do. I don't know. It, it's, it's weird. That's pretty fair. I, I got nothing else to talk about. I have no other notes about these movies. I don't know if you have anything else uh, you want to bring up before we wrap this uh, this uh, quadrilogy up. No, I think everything we've said, uh, I think everything to be said about the movies <laughs> has been said. Um, I would like to note this is our first kind of review of a movie that did not come out recently. Yeah. It's kind of our first, like I don't know what you call it, retro review but uh, it feels like uh, we're entering it's a new space for us where we're kind of talking about you know a little bit movies that are a little bit older it feels weird to say that a movie released in 1995 <laughs> is older like i don't like that how that sounds at all no oh, yeah. i think it definitely make, yeah it definitely ages us a bit there yeah but i think this is i think it's kind of fun to talk about um you know a wider range of movies here and, and being able to talk mm-hmm. about some some more classic movies and kind of change up our formula a bit here yeah it was really fun talking about species and and its sequels absolutely so i think that wraps up this episode of real film chronicles uh as always really appreciate you listening and hanging out with us today if you want to shoot us any comments check out our email at podcast at realfilmchronicles.com check out our facebook we'll have links to all the different social media and different methods of contacting us and listening to more episodes in the description Take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you again soon.